Embracing authentic community is a really important part of becoming a disciple. As we're talking about the great commission and the great commandment, we're, we're doing this series called Go Great. Uh, we want to go after those two greats, the great commandment, the great commission, and particularly around this time, we're talking about great community. We have said that here at Calvary, uh, we make disciples, the, the strategy that we use, the intentionality that we have to help you become a disciple is we make disciples by experiencing God's presence in worship, which is what we're doing here. We come together and, and we seek God's presence in worship by embracing authentic community, by being a part of, of a community where, where we can uh, be real, and then by, by engaging in God's mission to the world. And so those are the three spheres um, that uh, we encourage is the worship piece, there's a community piece, and then there's the mission piece. And where those three interact, where the three uh, spheres of worship, community, and mission in, interact, then that's where we are making disciples. And so as we uh, talk about this, last Sunday we talked about this belonging to this authentic community of disciples and, and how we are called to love one another as Christ loved the church. So I hope that uh, that's been your experience this week, that you've been growing in that love toward one another. Because today we're, go we're moving from belonging to becoming. Uh, and, and I know that, that many of you are part of a group already. In fact, let me ask you, if you're part of a, a Bible fellowship or a home group or a huddle, would you just raise your hand? Uh, if you're part of community already. Okay, that's great. If you are not part of community, but you would like to be a part of community, raise your hand. All right, great. Okay, we have several hands uh, up and we'll have an opportunity to talk to you after the service and, and we want you to be a part of that. So how is it that, that we become, uh, how do you become a disciple? And so I'd like to call your attention to our text this morning, which is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And it reads like this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews reminds the first century believers of the importance of meeting together. He says, look, it's really, really important that you don't neglect this aspect of the disciples' life. He has been talking in the, in the letter to the Hebrews, he's been talking about the supremacy of Christ. He's saying that Christ is better than angels, Christ is better than prophets, that Christ is better than the high priest, that Christ is better than any sacrifice that has ever been offered. In fact, Christ is the perfect sacrifice and that in him, because it is a perfect sacrifice, that we have the confidence to enter into God's presence, that we have the confidence to go into the holy of holies and have communion with the creator because of what Christ did. And so he's saying, look, in Christ, it was all taken care of. Every sin, every problem, every challenge, every barrier, every sacrifice, every ritual is taken care of in Christ. And so now you can live with confidence and you can hold on to the hope. And part of holding on to that hope is that we meet together 
that we gather together to encourage one another in that hope. That's what's next. So if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've already experienced forgiveness, if you already have the hope of eternal life, then the next thing is to be in community. If you're not a believer yet, if you've not experienced his forgiveness, if you haven't received Jesus, then it doesn't matter how much you go to church, it's not going to save you. First, you need to come to Christ, and maybe that's what, where you are. But So depending on where you are, that's what's next. And so uh, the confidence uh, that we gather in order to uh, be steadfast in the faith to become Christ-like disciples, and the same applies to us. So let me give you three things from this text uh, that we can talk about becoming a Christ-like disciple by. The first thing is we can gather to grow. Why is it that we gather as a church? Why is it that we need to be in community within our groups? Why is that important? Well, in the first place, it's because the Bible tells us, the Bible warns us not to neglect that, that it is part of God's plan that we grow together when we're in community. Evidently, there were some Jewish believers who had uh, lost that good habit. They got in the habit of skipping the gatherings. They got in the habit of not meeting together with others. They had started out well. You remember in the book of Acts, they gathered by the thousands at the temple every day. They had experienced the resurrection of Christ. The Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost, and they were pumped. They were excited, and so they would go to the temple every single day, and they would praise and worship, and then they would go to their homes in small groups. They would break out in the homes, and they would break bread, and they would have communion, and they would have fellowship, and they would uh, grow uh, in the teaching and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was a great start, over 3,000 people. But now, by this time that the writer of Hebrews writes, he says, some of you have lost the habit of meeting together. And there may have been different reasons for that. Perhaps some have become discouraged. Perhaps some of them had experienced persecution. And gathering was a scary thing for them. Most of us here do not know what it is to come to a place like this uh, and fear that at any moment something may happen. You know, this week we heard the awful news about a shooting in New Zealand in a mosque. And let me, let me just say, and let me just pause for a moment, that when somebody goes into a church, a Christian church, and shoots people, it's a thing of the devil. It is evil. When somebody goes into a synagogue where Jews are worshiping, it is an evil thing. It's a sinful thing. It, it's a thing of the devil. And when somebody goes into a mosque and kills people, it's an evil thing. It's a sinful thing because Christ loves those people. Because Christ died for those people. Because an attack on any house of worship is an attack on us. When we cannot be safe in a place where we're seeking God, then, then it's a scary thing. And the first century church lived that reality. And so some of them perhaps didn't meet together because they were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of getting arrested and, and being taken away for their faith. I don't know what the excuse is for people here in the 21st century in our country. Why is it that people give up the habit of, of meeting together? Why is it that people signed up for Sunday school and they had good attendance and they signed up for the church role and, and, and they had been here and then after a while they stopped coming little by little 
and then they got in the habit of not gathering with other believers. Some are waiting for an invitation back. I've heard people say, well, pastor, I stopped going to that group and no one has called me. And I'm not gonna go back until someone calls me. Now, I understand we should call people, we should visit people, but take this as a text from God. God just sent you a text saying, don't stop meeting together. Now, uh, it's important that we know why is the gathering important or, or why we, what are the reasons we don't do it for. One, one of the things that we need to correct is, is that gathering as a church is not for God's benefit. Sometimes I hear people talking about gathering as if they're doing God a favor. They say, oh, God was good to me this week and so I'm gonna to go to church. Like they're gonna pay God back for, the, for their answer prayer. Or maybe they're, they're, they're saying, I'm going to church because I'm really in trouble and I need God to do something so I'm gonna to go to church. As if, as if God asked for your attendance as a transaction. The same thing with pastors. You're gathering as a church or as a group. It's not for the benefit of the leader. It's not for the benefit of the pastor. I get to minister to people in difficult situations. I get to be there at funerals. I get to be there in a hospital. I get to be there in crises. And sometimes people that we minister to are so thankful that we're there. And I appreciate their heart. But, but, but sometimes they tell me, thank you so much, Pastor. He goes, I'll be there on Sunday. It's kind of like, I'll pay you back by being at church, you know? And I'm like, look, we'd love to see you Sunday, but this is not a transaction, you know? Uh, gathering as a church is not for the pastors, not for God. It's for us. It's for mutual edification. It is for our growth. We need to be in community. William Barclay said, it is easy to drift into the kind of selfish Christianity, but selfish Christianity is a contradiction in terms. We gather for our growth because we need each other. I heard someone, uh, some longtime Christians say, Pastor, I don't go to Sunday school anymore because I don't think they can teach me anything new. And I'm going, really? Wow. That, that means you know more than I do. Uh, and and I, you know what I say to them? I say, well, maybe you ought to go so you can teach them what you know. It's for mutual edification. Or maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. Uh, and I've heard other people say, you know, I just don't want to get involved. I go in and I slip into a worship service and at the last song I slip out because I don't want any problems. I don't get in people's way and I don't want people to get in my way. I don't, want, I don't get in people's business and I don't want people in my business. But that's not how God designed his church. He says that we should not give up the meeting together as believers. God didn't give up on us, so we shouldn't give up on each other. God will never leave you nor forsake you. So we should never leave or forsake the gathering of believers. God uses other people to grow us, okay? If you want God to change you, if you want God to grow you, pay attention to how he's using people around you in order to help you develop as a disciple. We gather to grow in our ABFs, in our home groups, in our huddles. Are you, are you gathering to grow? Secondly, we do this challenging in character and competency. Notice that the scripture says here, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's a, that's a very vivid way of putting it. Spur one another. It's like push one another. Poke one another toward love and good deeds. Uh, other verses say stimulate 
Or, or they should say, stir up one another. See, uh, it, there's a strong sense of urging people. Our gathering together should challenge us. Our meeting with other believers should not just be a comfy, cozy thing. I, I get it. A lot of our groups, as good Baptists, a lot of our groups begin our meetings with food. There's got to be donuts and coffee. Sometimes they're tacos. And I praise God for that. It ought to be like that. It ought to be comfy. But, but at some point, it needs to move from the comfy to the challenging in fact, the best group situation is where, where there's comfort and challenge, where, where there's grace and truth being spoken into your life, where there's invitation and challenge. I don't know if you've ever heard of the horse whisperer, but the horse whisperer is, is someone who says there's a, there's a choice, there's an alternative uh, for a horse. Some people think if you, if you want to tame a horse, you need to break him or you can just leave him the way he is. But the horse whisperer says, no, there's a different way of dealing with a horse. Watch this video about the real horse whisperer behind the movie. Renowned horseman Buck Branneman is on the Clues Ranch in San Diego, about to work with a troubled mare. The one fella, last time he caught her, he got kicked, almost broke his leg. So, and she's just bothered. She's not, it's not personal. All right. He enters the ring with only a rope. As I move around the corral, We'll sort of get a feel for each other. That feel for horses is legendary. His gift inspired The Horse Whisperer, the best-selling novel that became a Robert Redford film. The movie was fictionalized, but now Brenneman's own story is being told in a documentary. Everything you do with a horse is a dance. The film shows his ability to understand a horse and its fears. His insight was hard won. It came out of a traumatic boyhood. My dad had a violent temper. He was a terrifying person. Buck says he was nearly broken by a father who subjected him and his brother to brutal beatings. You take viewers through this personal journey that you had as a child, one that was, was very difficult. Well, having grown up through some pretty dark things in my life, you end up with a with an empathy for the horses. Empathy will be needed today if he's to reach this horse. It's in their nature when they're troubled to escape. His approach is gentle. There's no attempt to break the animal. Gradually, trust develops. There she kind of worked her mouth a little bit and she said, I think that might work. Before long, a breakthrough. There, now she's starting to kind of look me up a little bit here. The whole process from this to this has taken Buck less than 15 minutes. When you see this horse that was so afraid when you walked in and she can't leave your side right now. <laughs> you never get tired of seeing that. You know, I mean, I think of the thousands and thousands <laughs> that I've worked with, but it's, you, never, you never get tired of that. Kareen Winter, CNN, San Diego, California. What a cool alternative that you don't have to break a horse and you don't have to leave him the way he is. What a great story of redemption that, that God doesn't just beat us up for our sin, but he doesn't leave us where we are either. And, and that's what he expects to happen when we gather as believers, not that we beat each other up with the Bible and not that we leave each other where we are, but that we have this dance, this dance of, of grace and truth, this dance of invitation and challenge where, where uh, we encourage one another. That's the kind of environment. How do you know? 
if you're in an environment that is conducive to that. Well, we have a tool called Invitation and Challenge, and I, I want to share it with you real quick. I'm, I'm going to go over it because of time rather quickly, but you'll see here that there is a, a vertical line called Invitation. Invitation refers to this welcoming posture, to this grace that is extended, to accepting people just the way they are, loving them the way they are. Jesus did that. And then there's a horizontal line called challenge. This, this line is where, where we love people, but we love them enough to tell them the truth. Where we tell them, look, I love you the way you are, but God wants more of you. And it is in this interaction of invitation and challenge that groups function. And you, your group and your church is somewhere along this matrix here. Perhaps you feel like you're in uh, the left top corner where there's high invitation and low challenge. That means it's a very welcoming place. There's a lot of grace and a lot of love, but you never challenge to grow. That's a consumer kind of culture. It's kind of cozy. Uh, maybe that's what you experience. Or maybe you're in the uh, lower left uh, corner there where there's low challenge and low invitation. There's not a lot of love, there's not a lot of grace, and there's not a lot of challenging. And so it's a pretty boring place. And, and, and then you wonder why sometimes people stop participating or coming is because there's really nothing. Uh, or you might be at the right uh, bottom corner where there's a high challenge and low invitation. This is the kind of group where people are always telling you what you should be and what you should become, but there's not a lot of grace, there's not a lot of patience, there's not a lot of love. That's a stressful place to be. You're always getting hit over the head with something. And then after a while you say, I don't know if I wanna go back. Uh, it's hard to be there. But if you're in a place that is high challenge and high invitation, a place where grace is a button, but where the truth is told, then that's the right place, the best place to grow as a disciple, to be empowered, to become all that God has asked us to be. So ask yourself real quick, where is my group in that? Where's Calvary? Don't answer out loud. Just, just keep it to yourself, you know? But more importantly, where would you like to be? What is the environment that you would like to have in order to grow as Christ? Some people want fellowship, but they don't want to be challenged. And you can't grow as a disciple unless you're challenged. Some people just want to be challenging and, and telling others what you should be doing and what God said, but they don't have grace and they don't have patience and that's hard to follow. If we want to be Christ-like disciples, then we can ask ourselves, what is Christ like? John 1.14 tells us that when God, that God of the heavens became human, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one only son, he says, who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. When God became human, his revelation to us is, I'm a God full of grace and full of truth. Not just one, not just the other. Grace without truth is permissive, and truth without grace is oppressive. So we need both grace and truth. You can become a Christ-like disciple when you belong to a community of disciples that operates in that dynamic. You are loved, and you are challenged. I love you the way you are, but I love you too much to let you stay there. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Notice that there, there's an inward characteristic love, and then there is an outward, an external expression of that love that is good deeds. 
It is, love is the motive and good deeds is the product of that love. We say that a disciple is one who is learning to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus would do. It's about character and competency. It's about becoming disciples that can challenge each other towards love and good deeds. And then thirdly, we do it by encouraging one another toward the end. Somebody said that the, the world is full of discouragers and that we have the opportunity to encourage one another. And we encourage one another from the perspective of the day that is approaching. Notice that day is capital D. Day. What day is he talking about? It's the day when Jesus will return. It's the day when everything will be culminated. It's the day where redemptive history will climax, where, where what Jesus did on the cross and, and his resurrection from the dead will come to an end and we will see not just by faith but with our own eyes and the entire world will know the victory in Jesus Christ. The day we encourage one another when we put our eyes on that day. I told you last week, if you were here, uh, that uh, Steve Smith, one of the authors that, that we have read and, and one of the leaders in, in the church planting movement had been diagnosed with cancer and, and he was in his last days. And I read an email to you last week uh, of, of his last days, how he and his wife we're thinking about how important it is to love each other extravagantly. We were talking about loving one another. Well, this week we got another email dated March the 13th. It was Wednesday and it reads like this. Beloved brothers and sisters, thank you for the tremendous outpouring of love, support, and prayers. In the early hours of this morning, as David and I slept near Steve, he quietly, peacefully departed his earthly, natural, perishable, corruptible tent. He is now with Jesus, the firstborn, the author and finisher of our faith. And Steve is rejoicing. God wins, not cancer. See, Steve lived with the expectation of the Lord's return. He lived encouraging others so much more as he saw the day approaching. He lived with the anticipation and with the hope that the Great Commission would be fulfilling his own lifetime. That was one of his greatest desires. He didn't get to see that, but he finished well because his eyes were set on the end. And that's how people of faith have lived throughout the centuries. They have courageously lived with the end in mind. Sometimes they haven't seen what they hoped for, but they have continued to hold on to the faith. They have continued to encourage one another in that race. That's what the writer of Hebrews will talk to us about later in the next chapter. Encouraging one another so much more as we see the day approaching. I'm going to ask Ruben Rojas to join me here uh, on uh, uh, up here. Ruben uh, is a school teacher, and over a year ago, we had the opportunity to uh, gather to meet with him and James Varlak, who you heard at, in the video at the beginning, and Eddie Gonzalez, and uh, to encourage one another. That's, that's what we started to do, and, and since then, God has allowed Eddie and James to start a home group that is already ready to multiply. You see that one here in the picture, and God has given me an opportunity to be another home group that's multiplied into three. And then you are leading three huddles 
and so tell us about uh, those huddles of, of men that, that are encouraging one another. Okay, well, primarily these huddles are, are made up of men, and it really came from a, a passion of really seeing a lot of different men that come here every week, and, you know, I've, I've run into men that have been connected to the church here for like 10 years, but aren't really connected with a group of men that are going to be able to sharpen them and, and um, encourage them, and so... Uh, we do have one huddle that meets on Saturday of about five guys, and uh, and we meet up at El Pato <laughs> Saturday morning. So we got to have a taco and coffee before, and then, like you were saying, or, and uh, we have another group that we started for people on Wednesday night of about six guys too that we meet together and and uh, just for mutual sharpening and accountability too. All right. So how is it that when you meet together that you are you encourage one another to grow? How how is that producing spiritual growth in you? Wow, well, there's a lot of ways. Um, the first one I, I would have to say is that uh, men gathering together, men learn from other men. And um, one of the things that we continue to see over and over with the guys that, as we start to meet in huddles is, um, yes, they hear what it means to be a disciple, but they, they, they don't see it in action. It's really never been modeled to them. Uh, some of the things that we experience in, in a community with other men is we start to see that some of them, either stem from, and two, these are two of the really occurring occurrences that we see over and over again in, in the lives of, of some of these men. A uh, large percentage is either uh, past history or struggle with sexual sin. Another is um, issues with that, either dad wasn't present or uh, physically or, or emotionally. And so we got guys that, that they have a desire to change and be a disciple, but they just don't know how. They need somebody to come alongside them and encourage them and, and um, and I think that, that coming together in a community like that and being able to confess, um, hey, I don't have it together. I'm, I'm struggling in my marriage or I'm struggling with, with this sin still and I just need you to pray for me. And so as we meet together, we don't wanna just confess sin, but we also want that confession to lead to repentance, which also leads to transformation. And so that's what we're continually doing in our groups and encouraging people not just to confess our faults, but also Okay, so how does that, will that cause us to be proactive and uh, ask God's spirit to transform us? And so as you talk about confessing sin and, and wanting transformation, how, how does this idea of grace and truth or this invitation and challenge uh, play into uh, the huddles as they meet? I, that's huge. I think uh, as men begin to gather, there's a lot of grace. Um, I have to give a lot of grace because a lot of grace has been given to me by God. And um, as we start to uncover some things that men are struggling with, I mean, we start to see that there's a lot of, of similar struggles, similar temptations, similar pressures. And sometimes I've been through them or sometimes I'm going through them right now. And so as we come together, um, grace has to be given. So as we're, we're initially meeting, there's a lot of grace. We're getting to know each other. But then as we start to really bind together as one, that's where... Um, we, we mix that grace with truth now. Mm. And um, sometimes people don't want to hear truth because mm. um, truth is hard to hear. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we have blinders, you know, we don't, we don't really see what's going on around us or we don't see um, areas where we have sinful habits or, or, or behaviors that are not um, doing well in our family. And, and again, a lot of it has to, stems from, from the way we grew up and, and the way we were brought up and a lot of times we bring this into our marriage, we bring this into fatherhood. And so that's where not just grace is needed, but we also wanna make sure that we 
uh, impart truth. So, as I said, so transformation can occur in the person that wants to, to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, and, and I suppose it's easier when somebody sp speaks truth into our life, it's easier to hear it from somebody that we know really loves us yeah. and has invested in us. And so, uh, thank you for investing in the life of other men so that they can invest in their families and continue the process of multiplying disciples. God bless. Thank you. Amen. We all need encouragement. You know, Moses mentored Joshua, and one of the things that he continually said to Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Because sometimes we get discouraged. Even Elijah, who did some incredible things for God, sometimes he got discouraged. Sometimes God had to kind of uh, wake him up and say, hey, man, I'm still here. I, I, I was reading the story where, where Elijah was so discouraged that he said, God, I think I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that really is faithful to you. And God said, I got 7,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You know, and sometimes we don't need 7,000 people, but maybe seven other people that will come around and encourage us as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Jesus is coming back, folks. Let's lift our eyes with expectation. Let's lift our hearts and let's move forward with anticipation. Let's encourage one another. Let's focus on what really matters. If Christ were to come right now, right now, what do you think would really matter to you? What are the things that you would say, oh man, that was so silly. That was so silly for me to be focusing on that. You and I have a call from God to be his redemptive agents in the world. Sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we get confused about who the enemy is. But today we're reminded, let us encourage one another. We're on the same team. Let's run to the finish line. We know who's at the end. We know who wins. We know how the story ends. So let's run and let's encourage one another. Let's meet together. Let's spur one another toward love and good deeds. Let's pour grace and let's speak truth into each other. Will we do that? Will you do that? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for God's word and how it reminds us that we should not neglect being in authentic community. We should not neglect meeting together and spurring one another toward love and good deeds, but to encourage one another so much more as we see the day approaching. Thank you for the opportunities you give us to be a part of, of community. And, and we pray that you help our groups, help our Bible fellowships, help our huddles, help our home groups to become all that you want them to be so that each disciple can become Christ-like and so that we can be disciple makers because of your grace and your truth. I pray that you do it in me, God. I pray that you do it in each of us here. As you think about how you need to respond to God's word today, maybe you've never experienced the grace of God. You've never known the forgiveness that comes by trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do today, to say, I trust him. I receive the gift of forgiveness and of eternal life. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe you're already a believer, but you need to take the next step. 
believer's baptism or to join a group, to be a part of a community where you can be loved and challenged. Maybe that's what God is staring up in your heart to do. This week, will you say, yes, Lord, I will obey you. I will do it. Maybe you're already in community, but what you need to do is to say, God, use me to encourage others. Use me to love others. Use me to challenge others. And you need to step it up a little bit. Maybe that's what God is asking you to do. I don't know. Whatever he's asking you to do, would you say yes to him? Would you commit right now and say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I hear you. You spoke to me today. And I'm going to follow through by grace in the power of your spirit. Just tell him right there where you are. Let's stand together and let's sing. Surrender. Will you surrender to him? And as we sing, if you want to come and pray at the front, please feel free to do so. If you want to pray with me, there'll be pastors, deacons here that they'll be glad to pray with you over physical, spiritual, other challenges that you may be facing. Whatever God is doing in your life, whatever God wants to do in your life, make sure that he does it. Uh, so as we sing, you come.